Welcome to System Change Made Simple. So the slogan, system change, not climate change, is very popular at rallies on climate. And you may have heard of this. And so this podcast series is designed to look into that topic in more detail and trying to work out how do systems of exploitation and inequality come about. Systems like racism, patriarchy, class society and so on. I'm a sociologist, my name's Terry Lay, or Dr Terry, whatever, (laughs) and also an environmentalist. So I recommend that you get yourself a hot drink or keep driving the car or whatever you're doing and enjoy this series. The particular subset of podcasts that I'm looking at at the moment are all on class society. And what I've looked at so far in previous podcasts is what is social class, my own view of that, And then discussing different ideas about how social class comes about and why it's been such a successful invention of the human species. And the next two podcasts are designed to look into some of the key theorists of social class in the sort of history of sociology as a discipline. Today I'm going to talk about Weber's views of class and status. So why is Weber's theory still relevant? Weber is famous as a founder of the discipline of sociology and it's still relevant. One of the reasons I find it interesting is that he's got this fascinating idea that inequality is an inequality of life chances. And the fact that he doesn't actually define this very clearly provides an opening, if you like, for the kind of theory that I might go for, which is that It's an inequality of satisfactions and frustrations in terms of the basic desires of human nature. A second reason that Babe is relevant is that his view is a widespread view of the difference between modernity and ancient societies. What he says about this fits in with various popular preconceptions and ideas about this. And that is basically that in modern society, social position is allocated by some kind of neutral process of sorting by the market. So if you've got market advantage, you do well. And if you haven't got market advantage, you end up in poverty and so on. And that anyone can get rich, an egalitarian meritocracy. And by comparison, it's argued that in ancient society, social position is allocated by some kind of cultural mechanism that attributes special powers and special privileges, if you like, to particular classes of people like the nobility, the aristocracy, the king and so on, a magical pre-scientific belief in natural inequality. And so that these two social orders are quite different, modernity versus the the ancients. What I'll be saying is that, first of all, is that the market is far from a neutral mechanism and and has to be interpreted quite differently from the way Weber does. And secondly, that ancient hierarchical societies and modern capitalism have a lot more in common than Weber imagines and that they both depend on various kinds of magical illusions and that modernity is not all that different to societies of the past, which more obviously depend upon what seem to us now as weird and wacky ideas. Okay, so now explaining Weber in more detail. Okay, so he's got this idea that social inequality is an inequality in life chances, you know, the opportunities to live well, let's say. And he says, okay, that in history, there are two different kinds of sorting mechanisms which allocate these life chances differently to different groups of people. In status societies, or where the mechanism of status is more dominant, 
unequal life chances are determined by what he calls social estimation of honor. I'll come back to that, but the term social estimation is quite important, really. And secondly, the other kind of societies are those that are dominated by social class. And he uses the word social class to apply only to this kind of mechanism, if you like, of social sorting. It's where unequal life chances are determined by unequal opportunities in a market. So, you know, like if you own a lot of property, which has a market value in money, you know, okay, you'll do well and so on and so forth. If you don't have any money, so that's one kind of market opportunity. And the other one is, is skills, you know, like, so if you're a doctor, your skills have a high market value, whereas, you know, if you're, uh, what would you call unskilled or whatever, then your skills don't have a high market value. And that, therefore you get sorted into a different social position by the market. And this definition is really a theory of history. It embodies a theory of important changes in historical times from ancient status societies to modern class society. So modernity is conceived as taking place. I mean, in this essay on class status and party that Baber wrote, he doesn't actually talk, he doesn't talk much about capitalism at all, whereas in other books he uses that term. But in fact, it coincides with the birth of capitalist modernity, like in the 17th century, 1700, 1650, and so on, that period. So, okay, how does he look at society? You know, okay, so this is a theory of history. He looks at society like you might have a glass and you can see into it, you know, it's see-through like glass. And you chuck in a whole lot of things, you know, like dirt, sand, leaves and so on. And you give it a good shake and then you leave it somewhere quiet, you know, like for two weeks or something like that. You come back and sure enough, it's sorted into layers, you know, like the oil goes on the top and then water and then lighter things like, you know, leaves and twigs and so on that are mulched up and the, and the sand and clay and so all in different layers. The stratification, you know, like the term stratification is very interesting. One like it's used in geology, you know, like to talk about stratification of layers of rock and stuff like that. Well, here it's being used to talk about class. And so this is image. Okay, so now in a glass, like I'm talking about, what's the causal factor which causes these different layers to come out differently? Well, it's probably gravity. You know, I'm just making a mad guess at this, but I suspect it's gravity different layers are affected differently by gravity. Now, so he's saying society is exactly like that. And there are different layers, you know, unequal life chances, different strata of unequal life chances. And these are created by a social causal mechanism, which in one case is status, honour, or whatever, which causes these layers to separate out. And in the other case, it's the market. So, okay, so now what, what is my criticism of this? Well, I suppose the main thing I want to say about it is it depoliticizes history. As a theory of history, it depoliticizes it. There are no historical agents, there's no, you know, fights, there's no contestation, there's no people, there's no social movements and so on. It's all kind of like hands off. It's very mechanical, you could say. The effect of stratification is created by a social process in which the whole society is complicit. So this is really obvious in the term, the social estimation of honour. The term social estimation means everybody is agreed. You know, like in other words, a noble is just a noble. You know, the king is just the king. This is like a social estimation. It's the way society thinks of these people, their values to society or something. It's like we all agree on this and this is taken for granted as a presumption. 
So no particular individuals or groups of particular people are responsible. The unequal benefits that come about in systems of stratification are an effect of something that everyone, society as a whole is responsible. In the first case, the social estimation of honor is something that everyone endorses. You know, like I said, the nobles are just noble and so on. In the second case, it's like an accident of history that we now have market economies and which have as their unintended effect, social inequality. So like the, the presence of the market in this theory, it doesn't come about because of any political process and it doesn't embody any political issues. It just, it's just this sort of, oh, now we've got the market, you know, like suddenly society's like this. And okay, so first of all, I think it's fair, fair to acknowledge that, that this is not a totally stupid idea. And that there is something right about it in the sense that in terms of one of my favorite theorists, Castoriadis, he says, societies are dominated by a particular kind of unconscious view of the way things are. It's an unconscious, and he calls it an imaginary set of ideas, which everybody agrees to. And because everyone agrees to these ideas, even though they're completely imaginary and, and illusory, and I'll come back to that. Um, because everybody agrees to them, then society runs like this. It's like a, a game, you know, like a chess game or something with certain kinds of rules. So societies operate like that. So in a way, Weber's not entirely wrong about the idea that these social orders are governed by some sort of social consensus. But what this, his analysis does is ignore the transactional nature of social class and status differences stratification, let's say, to use the term that, that people who are following Weber might use. Social inequality is a form of transaction. The work of the lower order, the lower strata of society, the subordinate groups in society, creates benefits for the elites. You know, like so ancient Egypt, da, 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 you know, like the elites build these fabulous pyramids that they think are going to lead to eternal life and so on. And the peasants labor bringing stones from long distances and growing all the food that they eat, that these people bringing the stones eat and all this. So there are benefits that are being transferred from the lower groups in society. And I'm, keep, I'm trying to avoid calling them classes, but the lower strata of society and that go to the elites. Um, and what's the appropriate metaphor for stratification? It's not the metaphor of the glass, you know, being sorted with sand, et cetera, et cetera, and gravity and so on. It's more like the metaphor of predation. Like an idea that you find is that capitalism is like a vampire society in the sense that the ruling class sucks on the blood of the living flesh of the subordinate classes. And I think that's actually, in many ways, that's a more accurate analysis. If you want a causal metaphor for social class and social inequality and what Weber, uh, Weberians are calling stratification, then that's the best metaphor in the sense that there's an inequality and it's caused by this. Um, so the layers are not ordered by some impersonal outside force, but act against each other and cause inequality to take place. These social orders also come about as a result of historical processes in which human groups act to bring about social change. So the presence of the market or the presence of status honour and so on isn't just a, some kind of a grand historical accident, but it actually comes about through the actions of historical groups. Not necessarily that these people were aware of what they were bringing about or conscious of the long-term effects of what they were doing or anything like that, but certainly their actions brought about these uh, events. In the case of the market, the one that Marxists would talk about in terms of the term primitive accumulation, meaning this is the first kind of um, 
getting of of thing accumulating goods and property and so on that the capitalist class does occurs with what's been called the enclosure movement so in feudal times the peasants were exploited by the lords and da, da, da. but at the same time there were certain areas which the peasants used for their own livelihood. They had a de facto ownership of the own land on which they were producing stuff. And they also owned land in common. They were called the commons, you know, so they'd use this uh, a forest to graze their pigs and gather acorns and forest materials. To, and these commons were obviously really important part of their livelihood. And what happened in enclosure in Britain were like the first industrialized country, various acts of parliament were passed in order to enclose these commons. In other words, they were taken over and given by parliament to particular noble landlords, right? So the peasants were excluded, their land was taken off them. So this is a process of accumulation. Now that creates a market. Why? Because these peasants now have no way to live except by selling their labor power. You know, they've got to sell their work to somebody, a capitalist who can buy their work and make use of their labor. So right, the market then, the selling of labor power is an effect of this enclosure movement uh, process. So this is a historical event that takes place. There are social actors, there's resistance, there's acts of parliament, the state is involved, and so on and so forth. What we also have in, in this early capitalist period, like the 17th and 18th century, is revolutions, you know, like civil wars, to establish the rights of commerce and business to operate freely without being interfered with constantly by the nobility and the aristocracy and the king, so that people didn't get, you know, like control of the sugar industry through some sort of stroke of the pen by the king or, or, or something like that, that these things were contested in the marketplace by buying and selling. So this is a process, a historical process with various groups that you can actually pinpoint and say, oh, well, they were involved in this, creating this, bringing this about. And of, of course, I'd say the same thing about the, uh, the origins of feudalism as a system of status and so on, also something which came about through social actions. The other thing that I'd say about Weber's view is it overemphasizes the extent of consensus. It's just not true that societies are totally governed by consensus. All through the Middle Ages, there were religious uprisings and heresies, which were put down by force, like the Cathars, the Albigensians, whatever, all the Lollards and so on. In other words, these were attempts at rebellion and what they often involved, apart from their various religious claims, were attempts to overthrow the rule of the aristocracy. So far from there being a consensus, there was an underlying discontent in the lower classes with the way things were. If we go back to the ancient world, it's the same. You know, the Roman Empire, the ancient Greek city-states were all subject to various kinds of revolts from the underclass, anti-imperial revolts like Boudicca, Arminius, the German who fought the Romans to try and pre prevent them taking over parts of Germany. The Helot Revolt, Sparta, the slave revolt of the Roman Empire and so on. And capitalism has been contested in every period of its history through various kinds of riots, like the, huge, the general strike in the 1920s, the, the Bolshevik Revolution. These movements challenge the, the obviousness of status in the market and the inequalities connected to them. So there's never been a period of history in which consensus ruled unproblematically. Now, one of the other things I want to say about this is Weber's mistaken about modernity and the difference between ancient and modern societies. Capitalism promotes itself as a society without 
illusions. It's just the market. And you know, like the market system and efficient, every society has a market. It's just an efficient system for selling goods and exchanging goods and services. And, and you know, da, 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 there's nothing to see here, you know. Whereas, of course, in ancient feudal times, there was this myth of the great chain of being the king at the top appointed by God and the next layer was the aristocrats and then the peasants and then the blade of grass and the snails and so on. Like, okay, so you can see that now. Looking back, you think, oh, God, what a magical, illusory, mad system. Well, what I would like to say is that capitalism itself is a mad system. The idea that you can buy someone's labour power you know, and that you can own a piece of the earth's property or something produced by a group of other people take control as property and that a whole lot of people, the rest of society will fall into line and operate as though this myth is true. That's an illusion. That's completely illusory. That's just the magic. You know, like, because everyone does it, it doesn't seem very magical. But actually it is. And as Marx points out, one of the main illusions of capitalist society is summed up in the phrase, a fair day's work for a fair day's pay. Meaning, you know, you've got various goods and services and it's just like exchanging apples and oranges. And this apple's worth $2 and this orange is worth $2.50. And, you know, so many apples makes, equals so many oranges, you know. Like it's the same with labour. You know, like you're selling your labour on the market and, and it's worth so much and you're in competition with other workers to sell your labour. And at the end of the day, you get a wage that's, that reflects your worth on the market. No, Marx points out that this conceals exploitation, that, w- that what actually happens is that you sell your labour for a certain amount of money, but the capitalist makes more money out of your labour during the day that you're working than you're actually being paid, right? So whereas in feudal society or in ancient Egypt or whatever, it's really obvious the peasants are giving tribute to the landlord and the appropriation of the surplus is really obvious. In capitalist society, that's concealed by the monetary form. So in a sense, the market itself is a form of illusion. It's a form of ghosting. It's sort of nutty. Um, So I'd just be saying, Weber's wrong in thinking that ancient societies work on a system of status and social honour, a sort of social consensus about values and capitalism is just, you know, clear-eyed and no nonsense here completely wrong. No, that is just not the way it is. Okay, the last thing that I want to say about it is Weber's actually wrong about state societies. Why is he wrong about them? For Weber, all pre-capitalist societies are status societies. You know, they all work on a social estimation of honour. So if we're looking at a hunting and gathering society, there are certain leaders of the society who have created a wonderful ritual that everyone thinks is coming straight from the gods or, you know, they're really good hunters or or warriors or whatever and they have status and influence and the social values of society give them status and honour and they have unequal life chances because of that. I mean, this is all true, but what Weber doesn't acknowledge is that that kind of system of status in egalitarian, stateless, classless societies is really completely different to status the other sort of societies he's talking about is state societies, the ancient class societies, you know, like ancient China, ancient Egypt, ancient Japan, ancient Bali, you know, in India, you know, Mexico, da-da-da, the Aztecs, whatever. These societies have something which is completely different to egalitarian stateless societies. And that's that the ruling elites have the power to command and control the goods and services which satisfy basic drives. In other words, the subordinate class is trapped by command and can be commanded in class societies in a way that's completely not true of egalitarian 
pre-state, pre-class societies. So if we look at slaves, for example, okay, so they're kind of bought and sold. And in order to be fed at the end of the day, if they want to be fed by their master, then they have to do the work that the master tells them to do. So their labor can be commanded. If we look at feudal societies like peasant societies, then what happens there is that the, the king you know, sort of gifts, if you like, the land, this is a, the, the mythology anyway, gifts the land to the landlords, who in turn delegate some of that, you know, divine power to the peasants to occupy a particular piece of land as their own. And then what happens is that the peasants then produce tribute, which is in the form usually of wheat or something, but it might be something else like making the Lord's bed or feeding his dogs or something. This tribute is forced in the sense that the ruling elites rush about the place on horseback with armour and soldiers and so on, and will make sure that the peasants do this. If there's a revolt, they'll just kill people. So that in feudal society, just like in you know ancient slave societies, people's labour is under the command of the ruling elites. This is something that is completely different. So, for example, in a pre-state, pre-class South American society. A guy wanted to engage in a war with other villages and recruit warriors to assist in that. He could urge them, he could try and persuade them, he could use his status to influence them and so on. But at the end of the day, he could not actually tell them to do this. They wouldn't be any worse off if they said no, they'd be at home tending their gardens. End of story. Right. That's, so this is a huge difference. So to talk about all of these as though they're all the same, they're all status societies, is extremely misleading. Okay, so what you could say to sum this all up is this, that Weber acts like the great gap in his world history is between ancient societies and modernity. Ancient societies are governed by illusion and status and modern societies are governed by rationality in the market. Whereas I don't think that's true at all. I think the great gap in world history is between stateless, egalitarian, pre-class societies and class societies. And that class societies, including ancient societies and capitalism, have a lot in common, which is completely different to egalitarian, stateless societies like hunting and gathering societies and horticultural societies. Also, I think I should note at the end of this talk, this is the last thing I want to say, is that the way Weber uses the terms class and status is very confusing for us now. Okay, and the reason is that we tend to talk about, Weberians will talk about stratification and strata and so on, but in reality, most sociologists currently use the term class to refer to any kind of society that's stratified. So they'll use the term class, classes to refer to feudal society, you know, with ruling classes and subordinate classes and so on. The, the usage that's more accepted now is the usage that Marx uses, that Marx's idea of, of social classes is in a sense become dominant in the discipline of sociology. So when Weber talks about status societies and societies based on class, it's hard because people don't realise that, that what he's talking about is a huge gap between modernity with class societies and ancient societies, which we now call class societies, but which he calls status societies. That's just like a warning to be aware of these issues, these terminology issues. There's no, you know, there's no content in any of this. It's just words, right? Okay, I'll finish this. And next time I'm going to talk about Marx's theory of class society and how Marx analyzes class. I've sort of introduced that today, but I'll talk about it more next time.